Good morning again. So this morning, uh, I'm going to open up by telling you that uh, it's going to be heavy today. You know what heavy is? Me. I'm heavy. Heavy is weighted. It's, it's, it's deep. Uh, and I want to start off by saying that because I want you to pay attention today. Uh, I believe with all my heart, and, and you've heard it preached from this pulpit for many years, that we are living in the very last days. And I believe that. Uh, I believe that we are, just as Pastor says, we are waiting on that trumpet and that call uh, for us as Christians to be called up. And I look forward to that, but I'm not rushing it uh, because we got a lot of work to do. And this morning, as the message will be about, uh, you'll see. Uh, we're doing a series in our youth uh, and have been doing it for several weeks now. And the title of the series is called Wake Up. I believe that that's a statement that the church needs to hear today. We need to wake up. What we did was we began in Revelation chapter 20 and we talked about uh, the great white throne judgment, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And we set the stage for why we need to wake up. And then we looked at the churches. We began to look through the churches in the book of Revelation. And we talked about each one of the churches as we're going through this series. And you know what's astounding to me is that the first church that we talked about, the first church that's written to, they lost something. They lost their passion. They lost their love. Their first love is what Jesus said. They lost their passion for Christ. You see, they had service. They had, they had the church motto. It was doing the things that they were supposed to be doing, but their motive was not there. They had lost their passion. And then we saw the progression of the churches that once they lost their passion, then they began to allow sin to just be around them in their town, and they just kind of put up with it. And as the progression of the churches continue, the next church that we talked about uh, talked about that the, now the, the, the sin was in the pulpit. It was preaching. How do you get there? Well, Pastor did a great job talking about our foundations of our church, and I think we get there because we are asleep. And we don't really care. We're just kind of daydreaming our way, waiting on the trumpet sound that we can be called up. I want you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter, and I'm going to tell you first thing right now. We are going to be turning through a lot of Scripture this morning. We're going to let the Word of God speak for itself, and we're going to learn a lot if you'll follow along and open your Bibles. If you don't, you'll be asleep in five minutes, and later on in the service when I say, Wake up! It's going to scare you. So you may want to go ahead and pay attention so it don't scare you when I do that. 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn 
and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear, it is clear what sort of people we should be in holy conduct and godliness. As you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on His promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in His sight at peace. Now you can turn to Revelation 20. What we just read in 2 Peter really sets the stage for where I want to go today. And here, here's what I want you to do. And I, I'm going to pray here in just a second. We're going to get into the message. But I, I want you to hear this. This message really should be an evangelistic message that somebody like Scott Eady ought to be up here stomping and, and, and jumping and, and getting you to understand. It, it, that's the type of message this is. But I want you to listen to my heart. I want you to listen to what I believe God has told me today. It, through His Word, I believe we understand the importance of what we just read was because of what we're about to read in Revelation 20. And the heavens and the earth and all these things are going to be just dissolved, burn up. Because of that, we as Christians have something to do. We're to stay alert. We're to present ourselves blameless, spotless. Listen. That means effort. We need to wake up. Because what we're about to read is that important. So although this message is evangelistic, and I hope today if you're here and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I hope today's the day that you do. But here's where I really want you to hear. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, whether you're a member of Miles Road or another church, it doesn't matter, you're a part of the church. I want you to listen up because we need to wake up. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your patience that we just read about. Lord, may we never mistake that for acceptance in our life. May we never mistake just your patience with us. And may we as your church hear what you have to say to us this morning. And Lord, not just be hearers, but be also doers of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would empty me today, that you would fill me with your spirit and you would speak to your people through your word. Lord, I, anything I say of myself, I pray that we forget it three seconds after I say it. I pray that everything spoken is of you this morning and that hearts will be changed today and that the church would wake up. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. Now, Revelation is, is a deep book, and as you're getting there, kind of do both of these things with me. Listen and turn to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. I'm not going to go through a whole overview of the book of Revelation. Uh, that would be a lot of the time that I would like to spend preaching on this. Uh, but what I will say is you need to do your homework to know where we're at at this point, okay? So I'm going to give you a little background. The church has already been raptured. That's already taken place early in Revelation. Okay, 
The seven-year period, that tribulation time's already taken place, all right? The thousand-year reign has already happened, okay? The, the battle has already taken place at Armageddon. All that stuff's already taken place when we get to this point. Now, it's in Revelation 20, so we know it's at the back of the book, right? As a matter of fact, this is it. We're going to read the great white throne judgment. This will take place. I want you to understand that. This is not a fable. This is not some made-up story. This is not something that may or may not happen if God feels like it. Folks, listen, this will take place. Then I saw John writing as inspired by God, as Jesus would show him these revelations. He said, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I, I want to break this down into a few parts this morning. And if you're keeping notes as normal with me, it's difficult to do so. Uh, and, and I'm really going to do an expository type teaching or preaching from this passage of Scripture. So let's begin with this. We're going to start with the throne room setting. Y'all with me? The throne room setting. I'm a visual person. Anybody visual? I like to see things, right? So I got, I got to get a picture of what's happening here. So John's writing this, he, and he's trying to give us that visual. He's trying to tell us, hey, this is what I see, right? So let's kind of get the, the painting here, the Bob Ross. Y'all with me? Let's get the painting. Let's get the visual here. What's he saying? He says, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. What are we looking at here? Well, first of all, there's a great white throne. Oh, it's, it's, it's magnificent in that it is great in the size. What does that mean? It means it encompasses all, everything. It's white refers to its purity, its perfection. It's throne refers to its authority, its sovereign. Who is this person, it says, after the great white throne, it says, and him that sat on it. Who is this that sits on it? It's Jesus. And you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, in, in John chapter 5, verse 22, he says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Guess what? This is the Son, sitting on the seat, ready for judgment. Now, how do I know he's ready for judgment? Well... If you go back earlier in Revelation, when John first saw, saw Jesus, he describes him as one like the Son of Man. I told the young people last week, I said, you know, he's, his description is describing still a Christ of salvation, of grace and mercy and compassion. But he's no longer that in this moment. He's now sitting on a throne of judgment, of wrath. And it says, and how, how do I know that? Is, is read what it says. It says, 
from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. What does that tell me? That tells me that we think, and, and I've heard people say this, that, you know, one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he did this. No, you ain't. As a matter of fact, when we look at this and we see, let's just look at what Isaiah the prophet did when he was faced with the throne room. <laughs> he fell on his face and he couldn't say nothing but, woe is me. And Christ had to pick him up. You're not going to say nothing. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a parable that Jesus talks about the wedding, uh, if you remember that. And he talks about that this man came to the wedding and he didn't have his garment on. He didn't have his wedding garment on. And by the way, that wedding garment represents the covering of Christ, the purity on us. And the, the, the wedding master said, who are you to come in here without that wedding garment on, without that covering on? And you know what the man said? Oh, man, I just thought we'd be cool. You know, I thought it'd be all right. No, he said he was speechless. He couldn't say a word. Folks, in this moment, as Jesus is sitting on this throne, you're not going to say nothing. We need to understand that when God spoke into existence the heavens and the earth, He spoke it, and it happened. That's crazy. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be water, and there's water. Let there be trees, there's trees. I mean, he spoke it, and it happened. My wife wishes she could do that sometimes with me. <laughs> Just the spoken word. Listen to me. You know what's going to happen right here? He's going to speak it, and it's going to be no more. How, how is there going to be a new heaven and a new earth? How, how is all that going to happen? He's going to speak it. And it's going to happen. I want you to get the picture of what we're seeing here. This ain't just homeboy Jesus on a t-shirt. Alright? This ain't just my friend that I can go talk to and, and be cordial with. Listen, this is the all creation sitting on the throne who spoke everything into existence. And as he's sitting there, all authority and power is his. We got to understand that this throne room setting is one that is magnificent. And it's fearful. They want to flee. It says they want to flee. But they can't get away. What does that tell us? It tells us that every person will be faced with that judgment. Every person. Now stay with me because I'm going to answer a little bit of that in a minute. Because you're probably saying, well, not everybody. Second thing I want us to look at is in verse 12. First part of verse 12. He says, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. The summons of the guilty. So we got the vision, we got the, we got the, the sight of the, the throne room. Now it's the summons of the guilty. In verse 12 it says, and I saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God. This is the second resurrection. And if you say, wait a minute, what? John chapter 5, turn over there. Keep your place in Revelation, we're coming back. John chapter 5, verse 28. John chapter 5, verse 28. 
Those of you on your tablets are there, and the rest of y'all are getting there, and that's good. I'll wait. John chapter 5, verse 28. He says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Well, notice what it says in John chapter 5. He says, all will rise. All will rise. Not just, not just the Christians. All. Now, there's going to be two resurrections. You recognize that. There's going to be one for the saints, for the church, for us, for the Christians. There's going to be another for the dead. It says that the good and the evil both will rise. Revelation chapter 20, go back over there, but I want you to look at verse 5 for me. Revelation chapter 20, verse 5. And it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. You know what that word first means? It means there's a second. He wouldn't have said this is the first if there wasn't a second. He would have said this is the, right? Y'all with me? I'm not the smartest man, but that makes sense. So there's a second resurrection. So what we need to understand is the summons of the guilty is that all will be called up at this moment. The dead, the small and the great. The small and the great. Now there's a lot of us that think we're great, but we're really small, and that's okay. What he's saying here is that every person from every generation, no matter how popular or how unpopular they were, there is no standard by which they're going to be judged. They all will be under the same judgment. Small and great. If you're here and you're a millionaire, congratulations. Come see me after church. I'd like to get to know you a little bit. <laughs> but if you die without Christ, you are no different than the man who's here who has nothing in his pocket. No different. There's presidents of the United States that will be here on this moment. There's American idols that will be here on this moment. Folks, there's preachers that will be here on this moment. There's church members that are sitting in pews like you right now that will be here in this moment. The summons of the guilty is complete in that it's for everyone. No matter your status, you're going to be called. The manner of the judgment is the third thing. Again, in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. All the unredeemed that have ever lived will face this judgment. Not one person will be exempt. Now, I'm going to say in, in studying for this, and, and when I preached this in the youth a few weeks ago, this is the one part of the whole uh, scripture passage that really uh, just got me. 
I believe there's three things here. There's three books. You notice he says the books, right? Well, if you're like me, when I read that, I'm like, what books? What books is he talking about? Are there just going to be these big library books? You know, I, I kind of, and, and this may be wrong, but I kind of thought about the whole Santa Claus thing. The, you got the naughty list and the good list. I mean, we, we're, we're trained in our thought process to think all these crazy things. And I'm like, what books is it? Just what books? So in doing some research, here's what books I believe, and I believe people smarter than me believe, are going to be the books here. And I believe this is the Word of God shows us this. In John chapter 12, verse 48, you may want to just jot that down. John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus is speaking here and he says, The one who rejects me and does not accept my sayings has this as his judge. What? What is the judge? The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You see that? On the last day. Where are we, where are we reading in Revelation 20? The last day. So one of the books that are going to be opened is the Bible. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Word of God says. I don't say that. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. So if, if we're going to be judged according to the Word of God, the Word of God says that all have sinned. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Now, I'm going to be up front. I know some of y'all see me and you say, boy, Sam's just a great guy. Listen, I'm a sinner. In, in 1997, right next door in that little building, I stood in the back of that church, and the preacher did not have to preach a message to say, hey, this is what it looks like if you're a sinner. When I walked in the doors of the church, I knew I was a sinner. No one had to convince me of that. I knew that. And as I walked in there, I understood Sam is a sinner. Now what that meant and what that entailed, I don't know. I didn't know it all then. But the Bible says that the wages of that sin, the penalty of that sin, is death. Now death is what we're reading about that's going to happen here. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You see... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should never perish but have everlasting life. Praise God, I don't have to face this judgment. See, the book that's going to be open is going to be the Bible. And those scripture verses are going to lead to the fact to say guilty or non-guilty. Now let me tell you how I'm non-guilty. Because when those books are open and they begin to read my court date has been suspended. It's not going to happen. Why? Because I settled out of court. You see, Jesus said, Sam, you're a sinner. Admit to being a sinner, repent of it, and I'll pay the penalty for you. Thank God he did. I believe that also the book of records will be open. God keeps good records. Amen? Again, our minds are amazing. Even, even some of us who think that our minds ain't that great, oh man. You know what's crazy? I'm now 43-ish, something like that. I, I don't keep track anymore. So, so what's crazy is I can hear a song on the radio and it'll take me back to 15 years old. 
I can see something on TV that just sparks a memory, and I'll go back to that time. You know what's crazy is I, those moments, I don't even think about them. I, I don't even know that I know those things, right? I mean, I don't sit around and say, oh, I remember back then, and then I hear the song. No, the song sparks the memory that takes me back there. Now, let me just say this. We are just weak little vessels here. But we were created by an amazing God. And he created our minds in a way that we can't even understand. Now, how much greater is the mind of the creator? So if you think that he don't keep records, you're fooling yourself. His memory is sharp as a tack. He can recall it, although we can't always recall it. He can recall it. And if you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, you know what, man, I, I do good things. I tithe. The, pa- the plate went by just now, and I'm not even a member of this church, and I put money in there. God knows that. He keeps record of that. He, all these things that we do and we think, man, I'm doing these things. God, God knows that. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, you may want to turn there. <coughs> Y'all been sitting a little while, you're getting sleepy on me. Matthew 7, we're going to look at 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, what day? The day we're reading about right here. On that day, the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I believe the records are going to be pulled up. And he's going to, Pull the records out. You ain't got to remember them. He's going to remember them. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, I got a story that goes along with this a little bit. I went to a a football game down in Jacksonville many years ago. Me and my buddy, we were big Titans fans, and the Titans were playing Jacksonville down in Jacksonville, so we went down there. We had our jerseys on. You know, we was decked out, ready to go. We get down there, and one of the players on the Tennessee Titans team was a cornerback. And the cornerback's name, uh, I'll just leave that out. But anyways, I had his jersey on. He went to Florida State. I was a fan of his, and so I just kind of followed him. Uh, So as we're there, the game's over. We go down, and we're standing where the players are coming out, and I'm wanting to get autographs and things, right? So me and my buddy, we're front row, right on the little thing there. And uh, probably from me to Miss Dixie, this gentleman's sitting there talking with some people, and I got his jersey on, and I'm calling his name. He didn't pay me any attention. Doesn't even acknowledge that I even exist. And I'm getting a little hot. I paid tickets to get it. Don't judge me, okay? I paid the money to buy the tickets. I'm wearing the man's jersey that he gets royalties off of. And I'm standing there and I'm calling his name. I just want him to acknowledge me. Just just come give me an autograph. And he pays me no attention. The whole time. It's like he didn't even know me. He didn't. There's 100,000 fans in that place yelling names. 
But as he's about to board the bus, I really get upset at this point. <laughs> I didn't say anything, but I was pretty red. And I'm, I'm going, I cannot believe he was right there and just walked off. And this gentleman comes beside me and says, who are you trying to get? And I said the guy's name. And he said, he called his name. And the boy turned around and came right to the gate. I looked at this guy. He said, this man wants your autograph. He said, I got to go, but get your information from him, my dad, and he'll send you some stuff in the mail. He gave me information, and I thought, I'll never see that stuff. Sure enough, about a week later, I got a big packet in the mail with all kind of stuff from him. The point is, not that I got the stuff, because I have no idea where it's at anymore. <laughs> the point is, the point is, as I called his name, he didn't know who I was. Didn't really care. Wasn't worth his time. But the moment his dad called his name, he knew exactly who he was. Folks, listen. On that day, there's many people that's going to be calling his name, and he's going to say to them, I don't know who you are. What a moment. What a scary moment. I love that he didn't say that the sinners were saying. He said there are people that call themselves mine. Notice what he says, Lord, Lord. You know what that means? It means that they consider themselves his servants. Church, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. It ain't about how, how good you are. It's not about how many times you've been baptized or how much you give to the church or how many VBSs you do. It's not about that. It's not about how well you know the scriptures. It's not about how good you can pray. It's not even about how many people you've won to Christ. The only thing that's going to matter on that day is the last book. The book of the Lamb. And if your name is not written in the book of the Lamb then you will be judged on the other two books. And you say, well, I'll take my chance. Well, here, here's, the, here's the great thing about God. You have your chance. You have your chance. As we stand here today, God is giving us a chance. He didn't say, you're here, you're there. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever shall believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You don't have to face the penalty that we're about to read. He made the way for you. He's done everything that he can do. And isn't it great that it's Revelation chapter 20 before we see this? What does that tell me about God? It tells me that God is patient. He's loving, but I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Don't miss this. When you die, that's it. There is no second place. There is no place that you can go and somebody can move you out of that through their faithfulness. Folks, it is your decision. It is by your confession of faith, not your parents, not your grandparents, not your friends, not your priest. It is your confession of faith, period. And when you die on this earth, that's it. That is your chance. And if you die without Christ, you will stand before this judgment seat and you will be judged 
on your works, and your works are not good enough. It's only through Christ, through faith, that we come to salvation. Not of yourself, because if anyone could do it, they'd be standing in heaven said, well, all y'all got here by Jesus, I made it by myself. You see, God did everything he could to get you here. As we close up, verse 14 and 15, he says, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now notice in verse 15, he doesn't say, Anyone whose name's not found written in the book of life or passed the judgment test earlier. It doesn't say that. Now, death and, and, and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Now, understand this, these two parts are one thing. Death, which is the physical resurrection that's going to take place. See, here's something great. When we die as Christians, our body, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we die in this body, our, our spirit, we are, are present with God at that moment. Praise God. Our bodies, which go into the ground or wherever, will one day be called up by God and transformed in the twinkle of an eye. And you say, what are we going to be transformed into? I don't know, but I know when you plant a seed, it don't come up looking like a seed, right? It's going to come up in a new being. And that's, I believe that's what God's going to do with us. With our new bodies, it's going to be different. I don't care if you're ashes or if you're a, a physical Whatever, it, it's going to come up the way God intends it. Your second, it's going to happen that way. That's how God works. He spoke everything into existence. Now, when it says death in Hades, what that means is the physical body of the people who died without Christ will be called up in their corruption. They're not going to be called up in their, and, and transformed into incorruption. They're still corrupt. They're going to be called up in corruption. But the other part of it, where, well, if their body's there, where, where's the rest of them? Well, the rest of them are in Hades. You remember the, the story of, of the rich man and, and the poor man? And the poor man's on one side and, and the rich man's down in, in hell and he looks over the void and he asks, can I, can I just get a drink of water? And then he says, can you send somebody to tell my, my brothers? You see, where he's at, those people are going to be called up with their corruptible bodies met together at this moment. So when it says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, that means the two of them have been joined back together and they have been cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is not the hell that we think about now where they're just temporarily holded until this moment. Where does that word lake of fire come from? Well, it's, it's a word Gehenna. And it's a place, actually. And I've never been there, but those of you who get to go to Israel later on uh, will get to see this. Uh, they say that as you're, as you're at the Mount of Olives, if you look down south or something like that, uh, there's a place there where it's a fire that just burns constantly, like in this valley. And they throw all their trash. Uh, they throw the people that they crucify, the murderers, any of those people, they would throw all of them into this place that just burns continually. It's just a trash pit where the... the 
the wicked dead people and, and the, the, the garbage of the city all gets thrown and just continually burns. Why would Jesus say that? Why would he give them that illustration? By the way, that's a direct illustration. That, that word, uh, Gehenna, is where we get the word lake of fire. That's, that's a translation. Why would he tell them that? Because they understood that. And he's trying to get them to visualize, you don't want to go there. People say, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do there? Are we, I'm going to party. No, you're not. That's why he's trying to tell you, you don't want to go there. But you will have a memory. In Luke 16, 25, that's the story I was telling you about. There's a statement in there that when, when, when he calls out and he says, Abraham, can, can you send someone back? Can you, can you do this? And he says, this is what he says. He says, remember your life in this world? Now, isn't that interesting that he would say to him, remember your life in this world? You know why he said that? Because you would have a memory. I've heard pastors say this many times, and uh, I, I didn't truly understand it, but I do now that scripturally, when you die and you go to hell, you will have a memory. You will know the place right now where you're seated. You will remember this. He remembered his life. He was begging, please send somebody. It's a real place that you don't want to go. Jesus, as he's praying in the garden before he goes to the cross, he says to God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. You know what that cup was? The cup was the wrath of God. The cup was basically the lake of fire for us. It was God's wrath for the punishments of our sin. And Jesus, understanding that, he himself in his flesh did not want to encounter that. But thank God he said, but your will. Your will. He took that wrath so that you and I don't have to take the wrath. As I get ready to close... Some of you are looking at me and you're saying, where did that come from? This is not the typical message that I would preach, but here's the reality of it. I'm not apologizing for the Word of God. This is truth. And here's the reality. When you are in hell, if you go there, I don't want your memory to be, why didn't he say something? There's a school teacher in, uh, in a high school that I went to and. Uh, I didn't know at the time what it meant, but she was a Christian. Uh, and during the time I was in her class and all this, this stuck with me for a long time. And I had to, I had to work through this, honestly. And as, as this teacher would teach, she was quite honestly one of the meanest people I'd ever been around. And I'm not just saying that because I was a bad student, all right? I know that. And I would have probably been mean to myself. But the point that I'm making is this. I had teachers that pulled me to the side, and, and I know now what they were trying to do. They were trying to invest in me. They were trying to get me to see that there was something more than what I was doing. They were trying to get me to see the gospel through their life. This teacher didn't do any of that. And for whatever reason, that stuck in my mind. After I got saved, that came back to my mind. Why didn't she ever say something? I'm not putting her in a place where uh, she did what she did, that's whatever. 
But here's what I am saying is, what are we doing? What are we doing? We need to be about the truth. Church, it's time for us to wake up. If you say, that's a great message. I hope that the people here that are lost were listening. If that's what you're saying, you missed the message. Because here's what the message is. The message is, in 2 Peter, if this is going to happen, then we have a responsibility to live a holy life for the purpose of drawing people to salvation. It's one thing to love people, but no one loves someone and doesn't tell them truth. Right? No one loves somebody and doesn't tell them truth. Two things, as we close, I want you to think about. Two responses today. First of all, are you sure that you're sure? As, as Pastor Scott Eady would say, do you know that you know that you know? Do you know? I'm not saying, what we just read, I don't want you to be like, I think so. Listen, in 97, when I met Jesus, I knew it. If you were to meet President Trump today, whatever side of the aisle you own or not on any aisle, you would know you met him. You would remember it. So it's a pretty important moment, no matter what you think of him. If you, if you were to meet uh, some other famous person, they were to walk in here and you were to meet him, you would know it. You would remember it. Some of us are sitting here saying, I, I think I got saved when I was five. I got baptized. Listen, I don't even remember my baptism, honestly. That ain't what was important. What was important is I met Jesus, and he saved me. I remember it. You need to remember. If you don't, you need to do it. You don't need to be sitting here saying, man, I, I think that my works will be enough. I just showed you through God's word, it's not going to be enough. It doesn't matter what you do, it's not enough because all have sinned. All have sinned. And the only way out of that penalty is through the blood of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you say, man, you've quoted that now four times. Yep. Do you know that you know him? Do you, have you settled out of court this morning? Because if you haven't settled out of court, you've got a court appearance awaiting you. And you don't want to go to that court. You want to settle out of court. The second thing is, if you're here and you've given your life to Christ and you say, man, praise God, I've given my life to Christ. Church, are you doing enough? Because if this is reality, why does it seem like we don't care? Why does it seem like our world is going the opposite direction of what we should be telling them? Why do we have young people who walk in the buildings next door and we turn them away because we don't want them there? We don't want to deal with it. Why do we have people who walk in this church and they're difficult and we just don't want to deal with them? Why? Why do those things happen? And listen, I'm, I'm guilty. I, as I told the young people, as I preached this message to them, every message I preach, God's already preached it to me. And I want you to have some of that too. 
We need to wake up. If Jesus came back today, right then, when I said that, most people said, we hear that all the time. But just for a minute, what if he did? Would you have regrets? There's a lot of us praying for Jesus to come back. We're saying, Lord, please come back. Come back, please. Man, we got a, we got a bunch of people going to go to hell because we're selfish and tired of living in this world. We need to be saying, Lord, give me one more day. One more day. Tomorrow we need to say, Lord, give me one more day. I got kids. I got grandkids. I, I got neighbors. I got family members that need to know the Lord. So if you're a Christian, the challenge to you or the call to you is wake up. And in a minute, we're going to open the altars. If you need to receive Christ this morning, you need to come down this aisle and give your life to Christ. Plain and simple. I'm not begging you. I'm just telling you this is truth. And if you die without Christ, you will be cast into the lake of fire. Not because God hates you or because he's unloving, but because he is loving and because he is holy and because he is just. He's done everything he can do and he's telling you right now, give your life to Christ. You need to come down and give your life to Christ. If you're a Christian, you need to come to these altars and you say, Lord, I've been sleepwalking and I need to wake up. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.